0: guys. Nice. Hello. Hi. Um I feel nervous right now, but just in the like I did theater for years and it's in the nervous where not like I'm scared of what's about to happen cuz I'm not prepared cuz I know that God's going to move tonight. But the nervous because I know that I care about this. I know that God cares about this and he wants to speak tonight. Um so hi. Um, As I'm sure you've heard many, many times tonight, my name is Tia. Um, I'm the president of Stevens College, Chi Alpha. Woo, yes. Um, Happy first service of November, by the way. Um, I am a senior and I'm actually getting ready to graduate about a month from now, which is crazy. Yeah, crazy. Um, with that being said, I'm obviously a student, as we all are serving tonight, um, and I am not the full-time pastor here. So thank you to Tom for this opportunity to speak. Um, those crazy people over there in the corner, those are my parents. Haha! now everyone's looking at you. Um, <laughs> they drove up from Lake Ozark tonight after a full day of teaching and coaching um, to be here and to support me. So thank you for sacrificing your night to be here. Um, thank you for teaching me to love Jesus. Um, I also want to go ahead and give it up for all of the student leaders in the room. Um, Yeah, yeah. You guys totally stepped up to make this student-led service so amazing. Um, That worship was amazing. Way to go on the sound, Jackson. Really great job, guys. Um, (laughs) For real, for real. Thank you guys for your service tonight. So, like I said, I am a senior, Um, I'm about to graduate from good old Stevens College with my bachelor's in event and convention management. Um, Planning, for plain talk. Um, I know you may be tired of all the Enneagram stuff we've been mentioned over the past few weeks, um, but you can add me to the long list of type ones who have stood on this stage recently. Um, I'm really good at planning. After studying it for the last three years, I've learned that planning is a lot about looking into the future, seeing all of the things that could go wrong, and then backtracking to make sure none of them do. You make a plan to try and control the outcome of each scenario. And that is a big buzzword for me. Control, ha ha. (laughs) I have a little brother who is not so little anymore. He is a sophomore at Southern Baptist University, and he just turned 20 yesterday, so happy birthday to Ben. Um, yeah, this is us. Um, if Ben were here tonight, he would have laughed out loud when I said control was a big thing in my life. Um, he wouldn't have laughed because I was wrong or because I was making a joke. Um, he would have laughed because he knows firsthand just how serious I am when I say that. Um, so yes, this is me and my brother Ben when we were little and cute. Um, it was about this age when I started to get really into Barbies. Anyone else? Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I love to dress them up and make them act out whatever story I'd made up in my head. Um, Ben also discovered that he really liked G.I. Joe. There you go, any G.I. Joe fans, great. Um, Because that was, of course, the strong action figure man toy equivalent. Um, We're only about a year and a half apart in age, so we played together all the time. I would bring my Barbies, Ben would bring his G.I. Joes, and we would have them go on all these adventures that we dreamt up in our imaginations. So I would have my Barbie say something, and Ben would have his, his GI Joe respond, but it wouldn't be the right line. And like, there was not a script. <laughs> like, I don't think either of us could even read at the time, let alone write anything down. He had no idea what line his GI Joe was supposed to say next, but I did, and he kept getting it wrong. <laughs> so I would stop him. I would tell him exactly what I wanted him to say, and then I would make him go back and try that part again. (laughs) My parents are laughing because they remember that. (laughs) That's how Ben and I played when we were younger. Tia would make up the story, and it would all go Tia's way because Tia was in control. Yes, I am the oldest child. You're right. (laughs) So obviously, control is something I've liked to have since I was a child, and it's something that God is still walking me through to this day. To me, being in control feels safe. If I'm in control, I know exactly what's gonna happen next, and I have a plan for how I'm going to meet it. If I'm in control, I know everything, and there is no reason for me to worry. Here's the thing, though. Knowing everything all the time is exhausting. And let me add this, I have obviously never been able to know absolutely everything. And that fact, in and of itself, is also exhausting. (laughs) The worry doesn't cease. Striving and searching for all the answers, every next step, is one of the least refreshing things I have ever done. And I seem to find myself doing it every single day. But tonight, and all the time, (laughs) Jesus is offering a better way. So if you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. If you flip there or you see it on the screen, um, you may think this passage sounds a little bit familiar. We're going to go ahead and read the whole thing before we break it down a bit. So, starting in Luke 12, verse 22, it says, Then, turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a single thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. It's good. It's long, but it's good. Some passages are good to keep in your pocket for a rainy day. And this has definitely been one of them for me. With passages that are this good to quote and calligraphy all over our walls, context is often overlooked, but we don't wanna do that tonight. So Luke is the third gospel book in our Bibles and is named after Luke himself, um, a doctor and the author of this book and Acts. When we pick up with him here in chapter 12, Luke is telling a story about some of Jesus' most famous teachings. We find Jesus speaking to a huge crowd. Um, chapter 12 verse 1 literally says that there were so many thousands of people there that they were trampling one another and in that crowd of thousands one man yells out interrupting Jesus and asks him to make his brother share with him literally like he cuts off Jesus as he is teaching to say teacher please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me And I can almost, like that laugh, I can almost hear Jesus laughing at that request. Like when you're sitting in class and someone interrupts your professor to ask a question that has nothing to do with what you're talking about that day. And your professor just kind of like laughs and stares at them for a second. And then goes back to teaching. (laughs) Like that's the kind of thing I'm imagining from Jesus in this situation. But when he goes back to teaching, it's a little bit more profound. He tells the parable of the rich fool who leaves up treasure for himself on earth, but cannot take it with him when he dies. Directly after this parable, we get our passage for tonight. Jesus has just been interrupted by someone who wants a godly excuse to be greedy, and he is taking time for a teaching moment with his disciples. So jumping back into verse 22, they they're in Luke Jesus says that is why he tells us not to worry about anything. We are not to worry about everyday life because it is not eternal. Because, as he says in verse 23, life is more than food and our bodies more than clothing. Sounds simple enough, right? Don't worry about life because there's actually more to it than eating and wearing clothes. I'm done. Thank you so much for your time. Um, To put it more eloquently, Don't worry because we have eternal matters to pursue that go far beyond physical needs. Don't worry. That's the whole point of the passage. Just don't worry. Great. (laughs) That would be a huge thumbs up for me if I could just figure out how to do it, right? (laughs) I would go out on a limb and say that this concept, this whole don't worry thing, is something that is a million times easier said than done for most of us here tonight but Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't leave us hanging with a cool art print to hang on our walls and never actually figure out. And I am so glad he doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus goes on to talk about why we shouldn't worry. In verses 24, 27, and 28, he talks about the ways God provides for his creation. The ravens don't plant or harvest or store anything up for themselves, but God still feeds them. The lilies don't work or make clothes for themselves, but God still clothes them. And of how much more value are we than birds or flowers? And if I'm being honest, I wonder if the reason so many of us struggle with worrying about our physical and material needs is because we cannot answer that question. Worry often comes from a place of fear that we do not deserve the tender love and care that he pours out on us. Like honestly, how much more value do we have in God's eyes than the ravens and the lilies? God created ravens and lilies, and he lovingly cares for them, which is awesome. But God did not create them in his own image. Human beings are unique to the creation story because we are made in the image of God. We were created to be like him. This may be a bit of a stretch here. But how much more does a mother love her own flesh and blood children than her pets? A whole lot more. (laughs) She still cares for her animals. She loves them, but they do not even come close to the value she places on her children. We may never fully comprehend how much our God truly loves us. We may never be able to understand just how much he cares for us, but we must be confident in the fact that he does. As his children, we are far more valuable to him than birds and flowers, and he will certainly care for us. But we can let fear slip in even then. We may come to recognize that we are valuable to him, but we doubt that he can actually provide what we need. We fear the unknown, and our all-knowing God tends to move in those places. We doubt his provision, but the scriptures we just read clearly stand in opposition to that. Food and clothing are earthly, physical needs that we all have, and God provides to meet each of them. We've been making our way through Psalm 23 all semester, And verses one and two tell the same story we're seeing here in Luke. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. Like we've been saying all semester, shepherds care for their sheep every moment of every day. And before anything else can or should be addressed, they make sure the physical needs of the flock are fulfilled. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. Yes, there is more beautiful imagery to unpack there. But at the root of it, our shepherd is leading us directly to food, water, and rest. Our physical needs are already met in him. Do not worry, because there is truly no need. He is our provider, and there is refreshing in that. So I'm going to jump around a little bit tonight. So let's skip down to Luke 12, starting in verse 29. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Jesus repeats himself here. And if I've learned anything in the last few years, it's that we are supposed to really pay attention when Jesus repeats himself. He tells us again that we should not worry about these earthly, physical things, but he gives a different reason. If we can admit it, this world can be a scary place sometimes. There seem to be more and more things to worry about every single day. Last week, maybe it was the cold front and possibly icy roads on your way home from service, This week, maybe it's an exam or a paper or that big group project you've been procrastinating. But worrying about these things is not special to the Christian experience. You sit in class next to people of all walks of life, different backgrounds, cultures, religions, lack thereof. I guarantee they have the same worries that you do, big and small. While we may worry often right alongside our peers, Jesus is saying there's a better way he's saying that there should be a contrast. In John chapter 17, we find Jesus praying for his disciples in something that is often called the high priestly prayer. In verses 16 and 18, he says, they do not belong in this world any more than I do. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Here, Jesus clearly sets apart his disciples from the rest of the world. They do not belong to this world. They have been set apart, and we, as more of Jesus' disciples, have been set apart as well. And if we have been set apart, if we truly do not belong to this world, why would we ever continue to live like we do? Those earthly, physical needs dominate the thoughts of those that do not know God, but our God deeply and fully knows us. Our God knows exactly what we need and is tenderly caring for us in everything we do, And if Jesus is sending us into the world just like his father sent him, then we should worry about these things even less. When Jesus was sent into the world, he let go of every good and perfect thing in heaven, but he trusted that his father knew his every need. If we are to be sent like Jesus, we must also trust that our father knows our needs and will provide for them. Luke 12.31 is the big kicker here, though. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. So yes, God knows what we need. Yes, God provides for us because he cares for us even more than the ravens and the lilies and the sheep. We just talked about that. But that part of this verse is at the end. It's not the whole thing and it's not even the first point made. He knows everything we need and he will give us everything we need. But when, after what? Why? But seek first the kingdom of God. That's the rule. That's what has to happen first. This is where our priorities come into play. I don't know about you guys, but I can sometimes struggle with keeping my priorities straight. Like, on paper, I know that the assignment I have due at midnight is more important than the funny YouTube video I want to watch. Um, I know that, and I plan my night accordingly. It's all going great. And I'm not sure how it happens, but every once in a while, I find myself watching the YouTube video before I finish my homework. My priorities rearrange themselves. Or like when I wake up in the morning and I know that reading my Bible and spending some quiet time with the Lord is a much higher priority than whatever happened on Instagram or Twitter or what have you overnight. Even though I know that spending time with Jesus will be more beneficial than my phone scrolling time, it is still sometimes a struggle to keep those priorities sorted. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I always read my Bible first thing in the morning. I truly am seeking the kingdom of God first. And that's awesome. (laughs) Please keep doing that, it's so important. We should all have that priority first. But that's not the whole point. Seeking the kingdom of God is not just another priority to add to our list of daily tasks. It's not even one that we can just put at the top of our list and call it good. Above all else and in everything we do, we are called to seek his kingdom. We do not have to choose when we're ordering our priorities between honoring God and being good workers or being good friends. We honor God and we seek his kingdom first by being good workers, by being good friends. I also love that Jesus doesn't just tell us to stop worrying. He tells us to replace that worry with a concern for the kingdom of God. Our habits and passions can only be given up for greater habits and passions. That's what he's giving us when he tells us to seek his kingdom above all else. Now you might be wondering why I skipped over two of the most famous verses from this passage. And if you caught that, honestly, good job, because I'm not sure I would have. Um, but we're gonna circle back to them now. Luke 12:25 and 26 reads, Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a single thing, a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? I find it kind of funny that he doesn't even pretend like there's a different answer to that first question. Like he doesn't even entertain the option of, yeah, worrying adds a couple seconds to my day. And I think I find it so funny because I entertain that option far too often. During last year's student-led service, Sobe brought an awesome word, and the Lord used that time to speak a message onto my heart. This message, kind of. This year, when Tom asked me to speak, my mind immediately went to what I had heard that night, but I waited too long. I let myself slip into worrying about whether or not it was the right topic, or if I was even qualified to speak on it, or if it was just too similar to what others had already said this semester. I wallowed in this worry to the point of self-sabotage. That worrying did not add a single second to my life. When I finally sat down to write this message, it landed in the middle of the two craziest weeks of my college career. I had this message to write, discussion boards to do, textbooks to read, client meetings, all sorts of little details to figure out with my capstone, et cetera, et cetera. So much to do in so little time. And our culture kind of seems to glorify that a bit, doesn't it? the whole, like, booked and busy mentality. (laughs) But my friend Elizabeth told me this. We do not honor God by being busy. And we definitely don't honor him when we perpetuate the rush and worry by procrastinating. Ouch. I am still learning this. And I am not trying to invalidate the struggles of being in college, like, oh, I get it. I am not trying to dismiss our sometimes very full schedules as nothing, because they're not nothing, but I'm also not going to glorify that. College can be a very busy season of life, and some things really do stack up out of nowhere. But I think sometimes we have to admit that we have a hand in creating those situations for ourselves. In my case, part of what happened was on me, and I was overwhelmed. I didn't know how to prioritize all these good things, all these things that were important to me. So instead of buckling down and getting to work on something, on anything, I just sat there worrying. I started panicking about all the little things I needed to get done. I started freaking out because I just physically didn't have enough time. And as I sat there worrying, the clock just kept ticking by. Time did not wait for me to be finished worrying. I did not end up with any extra moments at the end of my day. In fact, I very obviously had even less time than I did to begin with. I wasted so many little moments worrying, and I could have been using those moments to check things off my to-do list. And I'm ashamed to say this is not the first time this has happened either. If we want to go clinical for a second, research clearly shows that stress and worrying deteriorates our immune systems, is one of the greatest contributors to disease and poor health and can even make our brains less able to respond to future stressors. Worrying is very obviously not good for our health, physical, mental, and spiritual. It may not be ranked number one on an arbitrary list of worst sins, but it is certainly the most self-defeating. All our worries cannot add a single moment to our lives. I think we've established at this point that we don't need to worry about our basic physical needs like food and water and clothing. But what about the bigger things? What about if I should stay in my major or change it? What about if I should take this job or move to this town? What about if I should date this person or be single for a season? Jesus doesn't leave us wondering there either. Verse 26 says, and if worry can accomplish a little thing like that, like adding a single moment to our lives, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? So I sat there at my desk, worrying about how I was going to get everything done, and I decided I should at least start on this message first. I opened my Bible to Luke 12, and I started to work. Writing this message should not take things off of my to-do list for me. It did not give me all this extra time to work on everything else. It did, however, ease my worries. While I still didn't understand how he planned to work these things together, he cast out all fear. He gave me a peace that surpasses understanding. He made me rest in his presence. He provided energy to keep me moving forward. And he's still doing that. That peace, rest, and provision are all included in the things our Father knows we need. In Psalm 23, our shepherd lets us rest in green meadows. He leads us beside peaceful streams. We have all that we need because he is a good shepherd. And what a beautiful tie-in to the last chunk of verses from Luke 12. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. That's such a tender expression of God's great fatherly love for us. Then Jesus gives us a call to action. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. We can't forget that this whole teaching about worry and provision came after a man interrupted Jesus to settle a dispute between brothers. Jesus offers this warning about the location of his treasure and his heart. Jesus is warning that man who interrupted him. He's warning his disciples and he's warning us. If we believe our earthly possessions and accomplishments are truly our crowning jewels, then our hearts are set on earth. We don't want that. We don't want treasure that is vulnerable to thieves and moths. We don't want treasure that we may be able to lose. So if we can agree on that, if we've decided we don't want earthly treasure and we want to store up treasure in heaven, how do we do that? We sell our possessions and we give to those in need. The answer is literally right there. (laughs) It's not a question and it's not a suggestion. This is a command to give a command to be generous. It is both a test of our discipleship and a tool to train us as disciples. We sit through a whole teaching on not worrying about our earthly needs and Jesus immediately points and says, prove it. If we have truly submitted our stresses and anxieties to the Lord, we will not hesitate to be generous. When we come to the realization that we do not have control and that is for the best, We are freed from all those little worries and freed to radical generosity. We are freed to give. In the context, here in Luke, Jesus is telling his disciples to give monetarily to support the poor. How well do we follow this command? Guys, it's feed one month. We have an incredible opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus on this earth by giving financially to support those we may never come into contact with. So what are we gonna do about it? It's time we take this command seriously. How radically would our world change if we simply said yes to selling our possessions and giving to those in need? We have the opportunity to do that together as a church body right now this month. Jesus is asking us to relinquish control over our paychecks and our bank accounts and our pocketbooks. After all, he was his first. We don't have anything in this world that wasn't first given to us by him. He is asking us to trust in his provision for our lives, to trust that he is leading us and taking care of us. He is asking us to step out of our worries and seek first the kingdom of God. He is asking us to step boldly into generosity tonight. And I would argue that the poor, that those in need, encompass more people than just those with a lower income than us. There are so many people in need in this world, and so many of them are desperately in need of a move of the Spirit. So many of them are desperately in need of a relationship with Jesus. The Lord is asking us to give of our finances, but that's not all he's asking us to give from. The Lord is asking us to give of ourselves, Are we willing to be generous with our time when life group runs a little longer than we anticipated and we have homework to do? Are we willing to be generous with our grace when our friends, family, and mentors mess up or hurt us? Are we willing to be generous with our patience and our affections when we feel annoyed at the person sitting next to us in class? Jesus is commanding that the answer be yes. Because, and I am repeating myself here because I think it is so critical, submitting our control to the Lord frees us from our worries and frees us to radical generosity. We surrender our control to the Lord because he is our provision and we are so very valuable to him. We surrender our control to the Lord because we are to be set apart from this world, trusting that he already knows what we need. We surrender our control to the Lord because it allows us to seek the kingdom of God above all else and in everything we do. We surrender our control to the Lord because the struggle to control the world around us will never add a single second to our lives. Most importantly, we surrender our control to the Lord because it is refreshing. Jesus is offering a new freedom in this place tonight, friends. Let's respond to him with a posture of surrender as we seek to receive his refreshing. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you.